Romans, the 15th chapter, and the 16th verse. The Apostle Paul, writing to the Romans, said, I'm a special messenger from Christ Jesus to you Gentiles. I brought you the gospel so that I might present you as an acceptable offering to God, made holy by the Holy Spirit. So I have reason to be enthusiastic about all Christ Jesus has done through me in my service to God. Yet I dare not boast about anything except what Christ has done through me. Bringing the Gentiles to God by my message. Everybody say my message. And then he's going to add in a second part, which is the part that's been neglected for too long in the United States. By my message and by the way I worked among them. Well, how did he work among them? They were convinced by the power of the miraculous signs and wonders and by the power of God's spirit. In this way, I have fully preached the gospel of Jesus Christ from Jerusalem to Illyricum. Now turn over to 1 Corinthians, just like two pages over, three pages over. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 1. Same author, Paul, writing to a different city. When I first came to you, dear brothers and sisters, 1 Corinthians 2, 1. When I first came to you, dear brothers and sisters, I didn't use lofty and impressive wisdom to tell you God's secret plan. For I decided that while I was with you, I would forget everything except Jesus Christ the one who was crucified. I came to you in weakness, timid and trembling, and my message and my preaching were very plain. Rather than using clever and persuasive speeches, I relied only on the power of the Holy Spirit. I did this so you would not trust in human wisdom, but that your trust would be in the power of God. I'm going to give you one more. Turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. I think we read this last night. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Verse 5, same author, Paul, right into another new city. For when we brought you the gospel, it was not only with words, but also with power. For the Holy Spirit gave you full assurance that what we said was true. So just that first part. For when we brought you the gospel, remember that it was not in word only, but in power. So there was a two-fold part to Paul's ministry that's been knocked down to one fold in the United States and in a lot of other countries. I was preaching in, the, in another country in the Western Hemisphere. And uh, on the Sunday morning, it was my first time ever at that church. I sat there. Church started at 10 o'clock. And it was probably about 1130-something. And I still hadn't got the microphone, which is fine. People can do what they want. But then at about 1140, the pastor leaned over to me and said, "Just make." he said, I'm going to introduce you right after this person gets done testifying. And then just have the mic back to me at 12.15. Well, it's 12.45, or uh, 1.15. So it's 12.45, uh, have it back to me at 1.15. That gives you 30 minutes. We're probably about 10 minutes in now, and I'm just saying hello. So what ends up happening is, in 30 minutes, you cannot preach, give a, give a salvation altar call for the lost, and then minister to people. So one of the things has to get cut out. So what ends up happening is... Um, you preach, and then a lot of times they won't even have time to give a salvation altar call. And then if they do that, the, the third part that really is the impactful part is what gets cut out. You know, do you ever wonder why Jesus is coming soon? Everybody knows that. Matthew 24, the pinnacle sign when the disciples said, you know, Jesus rose from the dead. And then the Bible says, just as you saw him go, one day he'll return. 
And then when the disciples asked Jesus, how will we know when you're coming back and what signs will there be to show your return in the end of the world? Jesus gave a bunch of signs, but the, the clearest one was Matthew 24, 32 through 35, where he said, know this, the generation that sees the fig tree bud again, that generation will still be here when I return. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will remain forever. So every here that Jesus was speaking to understood what the fig tree bud again meant. The fig tree is what nation? Israel. And Jesus said, of course, when Jesus was speaking, Israel wasn't a nation. That's why the, some of the disciples kept saying, okay, this has been great healing the sick and everything. But when are you going to get the show on the road and throw the Romans out of here and then set up a kingdom? And then their mothers were arguing which one of their sons could be on his cabinet. That's why. Because the Jews understood that the Messiah would come not just to spiritually heal the people, but that he would reinstitute God's physical kingdom on the earth. Can you say amen? And so when they said that, he said, now's not the time for that. But I'll tell you how you'll know when that time's going to be. The generation that sees the fig tree but again, this generation shall not pass until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will remain forever. Well, is it the devil knows the Bible. So he raises up a man by the name of Adolf Hitler who is literally possessed with one thought that he wants to wipe out one race of people, the Jewish people, because Satan knows if he can keep Israel from being reborn, then, that, then the rest of it can't come true. But the devil does what he does best. He fails. And not only is Hitler destroyed, but because of what was done to the Jewish people, it, it turns the other direction and people get it in their heart that to redraw the lines of the nation of Israel and have all the Jewish people come back to their original homeland. That is an amazing sign because when people leave their country, when people get their country taken over, they, 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 they disappear. They start marrying other people. And then within a couple generations, they don't exist anymore. I mean, you take my family. I married a Puerto Rican. My wife, but both her parents are from Puerto Rico. Her dad still barely speaks any English. They're straight up Puerto Ricans. I mean, he, he was cited when they lived in Boston. They got cited by the city because he still kept chickens in his backyard in the city like it was Puerto Rico. And so they moved to America, but they were just Puerto Ricans living in America. Well, then you take my wife. She marries me. I'm not even close to Puerto Rican. And then my daughter, we give, so there's generation two. Then you take generation three, my daughter, she doesn't speak any Spanish. You know, she dresses like, like any American. So it's gone. So, I mean, the miracle for the Jewish people to keep their dress, to only marry each other under fierce persecution, to refuse to amalgamate into whatever nation they're in. Even if you buy old study Bibles that are before World War II, they'll explain away what Jesus said. They'll say, even though Jesus meant that Israel would become a nation again, it must have some spiritual meaning because there's no way all the Jews are all over the world. There's no way for them to come back to that land. It's occupied by their enemies, but they were all wrong. That Old Testament scripture that said, can a nation be born in one day was fulfilled May 14th, 1948. And so as powerful as that is. It's not just a sign for Jesus to say, listen, I'm going to make a prophecy and it's going to come to pass and then you'll know I make accurate prophecies. No, there's a second side to it. And the generation that sees that sign will still be alive on planet earth when all of the other things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will remain forever. Well, look at it now. I mean, the stuff my dad used to have to preach on uh, in regards to Bible prophecy. The, the people would just stare at him like, I think you're taking the Bible too seriously. You know, I traveled two weeks out of the hospital 
After my mother gave birth to me, I was on the road with them. We didn't even have, have a house or an apartment. Just traveled and preached. Uh, Big John Hall knew us back then. We didn't have an apartment, nothing. Just, just traveled and preached. I was on a, a ferry boat to Nova Scotia two weeks out of the hospital, just Sunday to Friday, and then travel the, next, the Saturday, start another place Sunday to Friday. And I would listen to my dad from an early age, run down these signs about Bible prophecy and clear signs. And, uh, you know, that the Bible says, well, let's take one, Revelation 13, that no man will be able to buy or sell unless he's given a mark in his right hand or in his forehead. And so my dad would start to read articles to the, to the congregation about how one day they'll have microchips that'll be able to fit in people's skin and people will just be looking at it like, I think you're taking this thing a little too seriously. You know, 1987, people thought high technology was Velcro sneakers. You had a printer that made so much noise, you'd get noise complaints from your neighbors if you ran it uh, past 9 o'clock. A computer couldn't fit in people's rooms. And then now, I think, I think it was 10 days ago, 10 days ago, Dr. Oz was on the Today Show telling about how, how you can get microchipped and how he recommends it, how to hold all your financial records, all your medical information, all of the tracking software with facial recognition, where the Bible says the Antichrist will have dominion over the whole earth and there'll be no escape. There'll be no way to get from it. And it's all up now. And I'm not going to preach on that tonight. But if I, if I don't switch gears, I, I, I will end up preaching on it all night. So the son has a much easier job than the father. Because my dad had to tell people that in the 80s. But when I tell people now, I mean, I freaked people out on plane rides because they find out I'm a preacher and people want to know about Bible prophecy. So, well, oh, you're a preacher. What do you think about what's happening in the Middle East? I said, I don't think anything of it. I'll tell you how the whole thing's going to shake out and tell them everything. And they're like, you're like, whether they were white or not at the beginning of the flight, they're all white. <laughs> One guy even went, oh, shoot. So I said, I'll take, that, I'll take that as you're not saved. Because if you're saved, the Bible says, these things, are, I'm getting out of here. I'm not looking to dig a hole in the ground to get a bomb shelter. I'm looking for my Lord and Savior to catch me up out of here in the sky. How about you? But the Bible says, now think of this. The Bible says that Jesus, this, the generation that sees the fig tree bud again will still be alive when all these things take place. May 14th, 1948. That puts you at uh, 70, somebody help me, 1, 72, 71. 71 years old would be the youngest person that was alive when that happened. And Jesus didn't say they'll be alive when the rapture happened. He said he'll, they'll be alive for the second coming. So if you see the signs for Christmas sales, how much closer is Thanksgiving? Because the rapture happens minimum seven years before the second coming. And so all the things that seemed impossible, and anywhere you preach on this, people clam up at the part I'm about to preach at, but I'm used to it. No, no, not the, not the part before, the part I'm about to say. Because you, people went to public school, and they're trained to get offended at things and whatever. But, and I'm not saying what I'm about to say to attack gays. But the Bible says, when they ask Jesus, what will it be like? He said, as it was in, in Lot's day, that'll be what it's like in the day when the Son of Man returns. Well, what was it like in Lot's day? Lot lived in two city-states called Sodom and Gomorrah that didn't have gays in them. They were two cities that were obsessed with homosexuality, Genesis 18. So if you would have preached back in 1978, 1985, that the day would come where mayors would march in a parade with naked men that are, that are gyrating on each other in front of children, and you'd have drag queens in charge of readings at the public library, 
And then they deleted the videos where the drag queens had the children come up and feel uh, their fake breasts and stuff. And that's all stuck up for on the news and all that stuff. If somebody would have preached that in 1985, if you preached that as a Pentecostal, they probably would have called you in and told you you need to take it easy. That, you you know, I I think you're going a little too far. But now the Bible says when you see those things begin to happen, not that there's homosexuality, but the celebration. An obsession with homosexuality. Jesus said, know that that generation, the reason those things are happening, they are a sign that the end is near. And what's the end? Turn to Malachi chapter 3. Malachi chapter 3. Malachi chapter 3, verse 16. Then those who feared the Lord spoke with each other, and the Lord listened to what they said. In his presence, a scroll of remembrance was written to record the names of those who feared him and always thought about the honor of his name. They will be my people, says the Lord of hosts. On the day when I act in judgment, they will be my own special treasure, and I will spare them as a father spares an obedient and a dutiful child. Then you will again see the difference. Everybody say, see the difference. Between the righteous and the wicked, between those who serve God and those who do not. So the mistake people make is when people, you know, half half the people ignore Bible prophecy in the church. And then the ones that get into it, it's all fear. Did you hear about the Illuminati? Did you hear what they're planning? Did you hear that your dishwasher, if it's a smart dishwasher, can watch you while you're doing dishes? And so people start talking about it, and they don't even have any remedy for it. You, you, know, you know right now that the NSA can listen to you on your phone? Even if it's off, they can listen to everything you say? And, and they're all freaked out. I know all that stuff. So whoever's listening from the NSA, when I give the invitation to receive Jesus Christ, you'll go to hell as soon as any other sinner. You need to be saved in Jesus' name. I don't care. The God of Daniel, the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the God that broke Peter out, the God that broke Paul out, that's the God that we serve. The devil is under our feet. Somebody shout hallelujah. But you turn on Christian television, there's a little guy selling a seven-year supply of of dehydrated milk and rice to get through the tribulation. $7,000, you get a seven-year supply of rice. I've never called in. As I mentioned before, I have a Puerto Rican mother-in-law. She has a seven-year supply of rice right in her kitchen. Amen. (laughs) Just big sacks of it. Praise God. Thank God for Abuelita. Amen. So she's already ready for the tribulation. But when people start getting into Bible prophecy, it's all fear-based. Oh, man, that's a sign. It's a sign of the times. You know, I'm going to tell you something about the rapture. You look it up on the internet and they mock the rapture. The word rapture is nowhere in the Bible. Yeah, genius, because the Bible wasn't written in English. But it's rapturo and raptus in Greek and Latin. The great catching away. You won't find one place in the Bible where God ever left his children to be exposed to his judgment. As it was in the days of Lot, so, it was, so it'll be in the days when the Son of Man comes back. What's the other thing that happened in Lot's day? Angels came and told him to get out of the city. And when he delayed, angels hurried them along. As it was in the days of Noah. 
So it'll be in the days when the Son of Man returns. What happened with Noah? Noah had a boat built. He didn't have to swim his way into the boat. God sealed him in the boat by angelic help before the first drop of rain fell. And the reason people that don't understand a pre-tribulation rapture or mid-trib or post-trib are always in fear is because a pre-tribulation rapture is not a question of Bible prophecy. It's a question of understanding the dominion of the church. If you think the devil can take charge while the church is still here, you have a majorly flawed understanding of everything to do with redemption. Because, listen, because the story of the Bible is that Adam was given charge over the earth. Adam sinned by obeying Satan. And the Bible says in Romans 6.16, whoever you obey becomes your master. He took the keys of dominion that God gave him and handed them over to the devil. But the Bible says right when he handed them over, Genesis 3.15, God the Father appeared to that serpent and said, Mr. Serpent, just so you know, you may have bruised Adam's heel, but I will send another Adam, the second Adam, who also has no earth father, and he will crush your head. And when Jesus died on the cross of Calvary 2,000 years ago, he descended to the lowest parts of the earth and said, Mr. Devil, fork over the keys. And when John saw him in the book of Revelation, Jesus said, Behold. Everybody say, Behold. I am the living one who died. But look, now I am alive and I live forevermore. And I hold the keys of death, hell, and the grave. Then he said in Revelation chapter 2, I have the key of David and am the heir to his throne. Any door I open, no man can shut. And what I shut, no man can open. Jesus is not holding those keys for the benefit of the devil. Jesus is holding those keys for his body. He is the head, we are the body. We have been raised and seated together with him. Far above. Everybody say far above. All principalities, all powers, all rulers. Doesn't matter what political party they're from. And just remember. While I'm on the subject, the Bible says there will be an Antichrist, capital A. But there are many Antichrists, lowercase a. And an Antichrist, spirit goes against the spirit of Christ. Everything to do with the collapse of the borders, not just in America, all over the world. That people, You can't even watch a Modelo beer commercial. While Javier was in the field, he never saw any borders. Later, he became an astronaut. He never saw any borders there. Everything's to do with no borders. To get, because the Antichrist is going to have a one-world government. And I'm going to tell you what I'm about to tell The reason I'm in America and have made very few trips overseas this year is because the reason there's a pressure against America to collapse its borders and to go under global rulership is the last strong nation. You cannot have a one-world government with strong sovereign nations. So there's one last domino that has to fall before all these things can take place, and that is the fall of the United States of America. And, and, and it's getting quiet, but it doesn't, doesn't bother me. I grew up preaching in New England where people were born without personalities, so it's not, not a problem. Got personalities like the food they cook, flavorless. Amen. Because the plan, whether it's in the EU, the Trilateral Commission, whatever you want to read it, he's looking at it all through the, the lens of Bible prophecy. 
that the goal is to get it where the UN makes dictates and then they just pass it down to your leaders to carry out, take all the voting out of it. Then if you start preaching like this, there's some, always some idiot on Facebook that writes, um, just preach the gospel. This is the gospel. Church is not some little safe place to duck and cover and ignore what's going on outside. Church, the Bible says, when God told Jeremiah what to do, there were six things he gave him to do. Two were positive, plant and build. And the other ones were uproot, tear down. You read people in the Bible, they were confronting leaders left and right. But anyway, the, the idiotic thing you have people write on Facebook is, uh, well, the Bible says you're to listen to your rulers. Well, this is America, Haas. We don't have rulers. It's a government of the people, by the people, and for the people. Whether it's the president or a senator or a state representative, we give honor to whom honor is due, but they're not our rulers. They are elected people to represent the people so all of us don't have to drive to Austin every day. Can you say amen? The Bible says that we're to respect, we're, we're to respect them. I do respect them. But if God, if God told the church and his people to never get into conflict with the government, then why didn't Daniel get eaten up by lions? And God says, see, you should have quit praying like they told you to. You know, really, when you read the Bible, it's a book of God anointing government officials to shut down his people, and, or the devil, and God anointing men to stand against it and break their plan. And so you have... Uh, everything I said is basically a quote from Dr. Lester Summerall because he said America is the last bastion of freedom on planet earth. When it falls, all of Western civilization will fall with it. And he said America's worth fighting for. And I've never understood. I've grown up in church my whole life, as I told you before. And I don't understand why people will raise $60,000 to go overseas and preach, which I do. And I pre I've preached overseas this year. I've been all through Africa and will continue to. But what I'm saying is they'll raise money go over to the Dominican Republic that has a higher church attendance rate than the United States and then build churches there and preach every night, lay hands on the sick, lay hands on everything that moves, come back after two weeks and give the testimonies. We saw a lady in the parking lot that was on a walker and our youth group went and broke her walker and started shaking her until she could walk again. Everybody claps. And then they come back in the next 50 weeks, take the whole time off as if everybody in Fort Worth is saved. Everybody in Texas is saved. I'm not against foreign missions. I'm for foreign missions. But what about America? America needs a major revival. America needs people to set up open stages outside and preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because this is not time for the devil to take over. The devil's not allowed to do anything until we're gone. I said the devil's not allowed to do anything until we're gone. You think the devil can just do what he wants? Jesus said in two places, Matthew 16, 18 and Matthew 18, 18, whatever you bind on earth, I will back you from heaven. And whatever you permit on earth, I'll permit it in heaven. Yeah, the devil's taking over. If the devil has carte blanche to take any nation he wants, then how come there's America and how come there's Syria in the same period of time? You want to know what happened in Syria? I know preachers there. The government outlawed praying in tongues. You're allowed to have services, but no speaking in tongues. And the pastors listened. And 15 years later, you know what that shows you? Well, as soon as I heard that, I just made up my mind, I'm going to speak in tongues for fun. 
Anything the devil doesn't want you to do, do it twice. And then you notice the, the same trend here. What's the same trend here? To have little speaking services, positive message, and dismiss exactly on the 85-minute mark. Some places, 65 minutes. Herd in, extract tithes and offerings, positive message, and out you go. But that's not going to upend the plan of the devil. You know one thing I love? Whether you like Donald Trump or hate Donald Trump. I was going to say somewhere in between, but I don't think anyone is in between. One thing that I love about that election is everybody had planned for Hillary Clinton to be the next president. They had already had it printed up on a Newsweek, Madam President. Congratulations, Madam President. Because those global powers that everyone's so afraid of, that people even in the church think control everything. They had everything set, but from a boy that grew up in church from 1980 till now, for the first time in my life, other than West African churches or Indian churches or South Korean churches, I saw regular white churches, regular black churches, Regular Holy Ghost churches start to have all-night prayer meetings because people could tell this is trouble. And let me tell you, it was trouble. You had uh, Scalia killed at that place in Texas. You were down to eight Supreme Court justices. Hillary Clinton was going to get in. The two old ones, Ginsburg, who I, I don't know if she's alive or not, and Kennedy were going to step down right away. And it would have been 6-3. And you do away with the First Amendment with hate speech, the Second Amendment, and down you go into tyranny. But the church began to pray. And God heard the church and overthrew every plan of the wicked one. And God has given America a reprieve to see revival sweep this land. You, you know, while I'm on the subject, in, in about 2007, I still remember I was walking home from an event in Virginia Beach, and I was thinking about what it was like in the 1980s with just how, how the country was friendly. You know, Ronald Reagan instituted a National Day of the Bible and, and, and demanded that the Bible be prominently displayed in every public school and said all that stuff. And I thought, Lord, I was a kid when that happened. Now you ask me to preach, I'm in this era where they hate preachers. And I was doing, um, I mean, I could play the videos. I've had permits stripped mid-crusade in New Jersey. I mean, try to find me. When I went to get the permit in Philadelphia to preach outside in North Philadelphia where the Muslim enclave is, when the guy found out it was going to be a preaching event, he said, there's a new price. The old price was $7,500 for the week. He said, the new price is $40,000 plus an $8,000 fee for cleaning. I don't know if you've ever been to Philadelphia or not. That park hadn't been cleaned since William Penn got the land grant from Queen Mary. That's not a joke. He's going to charge me $8,000 to clean up. We cleaned it up anyway. We had 300 volunteers. I'm telling you, when I saw that, that that's maybe when it clicked, maybe it took me 14 years to realize this isn't a game. There is darkness that holds men's souls captives generation after generation of alcoholism and sexual abuse and poverty and early death. And the only thing that can break that chain is the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
when that, when that guy said that, there's a new price, 40,000. You can just tell he's like making up the figures as he goes. 40,000 plus 8,000. Take it or leave. When he said that, I didn't have the money. But it's not up to me anyway. If you work for Verizon and they put you in charge of building a Verizon plant in Mansfield, Texas, and they tell you how much it's going to cost, you don't worry, just call back to headquarters and tell them what the cost is. When that guy said that, I, maybe that's why I preach prosperity strong after that, because I realize the devil thinks we're a bunch of broke losers with a broke God. $40,000 plus $8,000 for cleaning. Take it or leave it. I said, no problem. Just answer me one thing. What's that? Would you like it in gold, silver, cash, or diamonds? I didn't have any of the four, so it didn't make any difference to me. Just say it so the Lord can hear you. He snorted and walked away. And I said to God, I said, you heard that? He thinks you're broke. But I don't. That's why I mouthed off. I know $48,000 comes out of each nostril every time you sneeze. You're a big God. Over to you in Jesus' name. I had a guy call me from St. Louis and said, I feel, felt to give you something. He sent $8,000. Another guy called from Oklahoma, sent $25,000. That was thirty-three. I had... 10 days to go, and came down and did a meeting in Texas, and a guy called me over and said, I felt to give you a check, and he handed it to me folded in half. I took it and said, thank you. He said, no, I want you to look at it. When people want you to look at it, it's a lot of money. When it's folded like nine times, it's a little bit of money. When people are apologizing for the check before you've even looked, listen, I'm sorry, I wish it could be more out of it. So I, I unfolded that baby. One zero zero comma zero zero zero. The devil tried to squeeze me for 40 extra thousand and God gave me 133 in like 20 days. No newsletter, no GoFundMe, no begging on Facebook. We serve El Shaddai, the God of more than enough. Somebody shout hallelujah. I'll tell you, you're always anointed, but when somebody hands you a check for 100000 you feel anointed. Praise God. I said, praise God. I said, praise the Lord. Go and preach it there in Philadelphia. 2,564 people get saved. Muslims get saved. Everybody gets saved. Had a kid write me out. I mean, kids, people have never been to church. In fact, when I went to do that crusade, I felt the Lord speak to me. It's my first time ever doing an outdoor meeting in the United States. I felt the Lord speak to me. Pretend you're in Central Africa in 1920 or India in 1910. Don't preach. Like, now, you know, because people don't even know how to preach to the lost people. Say, now, as many of you know, no, they don't know anything. The Lord said, preach like you're preaching to like assembled heathens in another continent in the first wave of missionaries in the 19th century. And that's how I preached. I preached on a different aspect of Jesus Christ every night. Christ the healer. Christ the soon coming king. Christ the burden bearer. Christ the good shepherd. And just told him, Jesus loves you. There's a better way. God will break that power that's over your life when you come to him. You saw women in full burkas start to lift their hands. Get saved one after another. Then this old guy runs up on the stage and asks if he can testify. He's from Haiti. He said, I mean, he just runs up. Hey, can I say something? I'm thinking, where is security? Thinking it's probably like a drunk guy that's going to disrupt the meeting. It wasn't. He said, I wanted to tell you something. He said, you're probably going to think I'm crazy. But when you were preaching, I have a hearing aid in my ear. I can't hear even with the hearing aid. And my hearing aid started to get really loud. So I thought it must have started working. But when I took it out, it was even louder. 
He said, my deaf ear can hear now. You know, they didn't even know about miracles. He came up and said, you're probably going to think I'm crazy. No. I was believing for that. And then one miracle after another like that. Because the answer that there was in the Bible is still the answer today. And then when you preach and get people saved and destroy the hold of the devil on them and their family, that Antichrist spirit gets set back. And I'm going to tell you something right now. That spirit of Antichrist is getting set back decades by the month. Everything the devil planned to enslave mankind is being destroyed by the power of the Holy Ghost. So rejoice. You're on the winning side. The church is still in dominion. Somebody shout hallelujah. So that'll, that'll let you know. Like those videos, that's why I did it. I'm not going to go run all over the country and preach in other countries and leave America to rot. You think you have to go across the ocean to reach unreached peoples? Go to the University of Texas. And I'm not picking on you. Go to any U.S. university. Less than 1.5% church attendance. That's worse than Europe. I had a girl that got touched in one of my meetings, a young lady, I should say, that goes to the University of Massachusetts, Dartmouth, where the Boston bomber was from. And she started a Bible study. And she said, listen, I I know you probably can't do this, but I would love to have you come preach at the Bible study I started at the university. You know, it's just from scratch. No backing group. I don't have any, you know, we don't have that many people. I said, how many? Yeah, 14. Well, that's like having 4,000 people somewhere else. You got 14 rank heathen university students to start coming to Bible school? I'm in. Yeah, I, but I won't be able to, I don't know if we'll be able to pay. I don't care about pay. Money has never been a problem. God is a money God. When you do what he tells you to do, he makes your cup run over. So I went 14 the first night. 11 got saved. Then I think it went to 30 the next night. I could only be there three nights. 30 the next night. I think another seven got saved. We were up to 18. Then 45 the closing night. All university students. And when I gave the call to get hands laid on you to receive the Holy Ghost, 44 out of the 45 came forward to get hands laid on them. The gospel works anywhere. I said the gospel works anywhere. Jay, can I give you one on the fly? The Penn State one. I had another guy invite me to Penn State University. Same thing, 1.2%, go to church, whatever. This guy was from Congo in Central Africa. And so because he wasn't Americanized, when he was in one of my meetings and started hearing me talk like this, he he said, I'm going to graduate this school in one year, and I've made no mark on my school for Christ. So I'm going to put up a stage and do a crusade on the university campus as a student. Well, same with him. They find out it's going to be a stage to preach, and they raise the price, charge him like $26,000, thinking he can't raise it. A couple of churches let him come and speak and share his vision, like three gets 26000 and plus like that, and then puts up a stage, and God gave him an idea. Incoming freshman weekend, all the freshmen get to leave home for the first time. I want to go party, but none of them know where to go party because they're out of town. And so he announced an incoming freshman weekend party. And had DJs up on the stage. And a thousand incoming freshman students came. And then his idea was to have me speak at the end of the, um, the last DJ. 
So I went out in the woods and prayed around Penn State while I was waiting for my turn while the DJs were going. Because I'd never done anything like that before. Bunch of, you know, mocking university students. And I said, Father, when you, called, when you sent that angel to my room when I was eight, you knew this day would come. And I'm asking you to show me the way by the Holy Ghost to reach this crowd. And immediately, I mean, didn't even have to wait. The Lord spoke to me. He said, for the first seven minutes, the crowd will be very hostile to you. They're going to try to yell over top of you. Don't address them and don't address it. In other words, if you say something like, please, if you could just show me some respect and not say that, it'll actually unite the crowd against you and you'll lose the whole meeting. Just keep quoting scriptures on how much I love them, how I sent Jesus Christ, my son, to die for them. And then the Lord gave me this bit of wisdom, which gave me major confidence. He said, they look like tough 18 and 19-year-olds. But remember that 10 years ago, they were 8 and 9. So essentially, there's like a 10-year callus that's built up on their heart. My word will soften that callus. And he said, within about 20 minutes, they'll turn from 18 and 19-year-olds to like 8 and 9-year-olds at a VBS thing. And I'm going to show you, I preached for about 28 minutes. And we knocked it down to a six-minute highlight clip to show you the power of the gospel. And I'm showing you this, not to just show you what the Lord, well, I'm not taking an offering after, you know, I'm not, I'm not a missionary showing you what I've done, and then if you can please give. I'm playing this because the Lord also spoke to me about two years ago that God was going to raise up, that God was going to raise up a new group of evangelists. Now, some of you won't know what the heck I'm talking about, but many of you will. Pastor Bob will know what I'm talking about. The Bible says another thing Jesus did other than take the keys from the devil is the Bible says he descended to the lowest parts of the earth and gave gifts to men. And those gifts are apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher. And they're for the perfecting of the saints and the work of the ministry. And so you got five. Well, most full gospel denominations have immediately done away with apostle and prophet, which are the cornerstone. The Bible says that Christ is the cornerstone with apostle and prophets at the foundation. Then the next gift is the evangelist, which is the sickle arm of the church to reach the lost. You go to almost any full gospel college in this country, and you want to be an evangelist, they don't have a thing for you. They've whittled it down to pastor, assistant pastor, missionary, youth pastor, worship leader. And that's it. And so this arm of evangelism, the devil did everything. I mean, I think, I think there's less than like... The Billy Graham Association said there's less than 2,000 full-time evangelists worldwide in the era where there's the greatest need. And then now you look, I don't know what denomination this church is or if it's independent, it doesn't make a difference. I'm not picking on the Assemblies of God. I started in the Assemblies of God, and they're the largest Pentecostal organization in America. But now they're having to shut down their Bible schools or merge them with other schools. Some of those big colleges produced three full-time ministers in last year's class, where there is so little response in the greatest hour of need that they're having to shut schools down. Contrast that with how it was in the 50s and 40s, where so many people were going into the ministry that they couldn't have one Bible college. They had to have one in the Northeast, Southeastern, Southwestern, North Central, to handle the influx of ministers in the Assemblies of God. The average ordained minister is 60 years old. And that'll jump to 70 very quickly if you study the demographics. How can there be 
such a low amount of people going into the ministry when the Bible says the harvest is ripe. Turn to John chapter 4. John the 4th chapter. John 4. John 4.31. John 4.31. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging Jesus, Rabbi, eat something. But Jesus replied, I have a kind of food you know nothing about. Did somebody bring him some food while we were gone? The disciples asked each other. Jesus explained, My nourishment comes from doing the will of God who sent me. And from finishing his work. It was a finishing his work. So, you know, if you sit around people that tell you, well, how many of you know if God wants something to happen, it's going to happen no matter what, then there's not going to be much motivation for you to go into the ministry, is there? Oh, Lord, save America. God's up in heaven going, son, I told you to go out and preach the gospel. Can you imagine working in an office and they're getting ready to have a board meeting and the CEO says, I need 50 copies of this made by 2 p.m. And you take it from and go, Oh, boss, I thank you that thou hast made this company, and thou even ownest the copy machine, and thou knowest how to work it better than me. And I, I ask you, oh, boss, you're going to go to the mental institution and lose your job. You can't ask God to do what he told you to do. I said you can't ask God to do what he told you to do. I grew up in church like that. Father, you see Mary Williams is in the hospital. We ask you to go and touch her where she's at. He ain't going to touch anybody. He told you. Go lay your hands on the sick, and the sick shall recover. God is looking for a vessel to use. Second Chronicles 16.9 The eyes of the Lord search continually over all the earth, looking for someone whose heart is fully given to him. That he might show himself strong on their behalf. Don't miss the second part. He's not just looking for somebody. If he finds them, he'll show himself strong on their behalf. Hallelujah. I wonder tonight how many people I got, because I can feel it in my belly. How many people God's going to put his hand on? That the reason you haven't found any satisfaction, jumping from job to job at 20 years old or you're in university and just keep changing majors because nothing hits. You were just told you're supposed to go to school. <laughs> so they can collect a ridiculous amount of money off you. Bible school and secular school. You can't find any satisfaction. Because there's people here tonight that God has a higher call for you. And tonight you're going to step up into that call. And your life is going to make a difference on this earth. I don't want to just go to heaven. When I go to heaven, I want there to be a multitude of people there that say thank you. My last name is Shuttlesworth. Before my grandfather, there wasn't one Christian in the family. They were all coal miners. Nobody went to church. I asked him before he died. I said, not even Easter or Christmas? No, never. Nobody had any teeth. Like every stereotype of West Virginia. My, my, no, not joking around. My grandmother that's still alive, 87 years old, said not one person had any teeth. 
toothless West Virginia coal miners, that coal mining was like a half step from slavery. You didn't even get paid in U.S. dollars. You got paid in company script. That was only redeemable at the company store. Everybody broke. Nobody could go to a dentist, the whole thing. And my grandfather sees a tent and thinks the circus is in town or something and sees a pretty girl that the Holy Ghost must have used as bait go under the tent. And my grandfather goes under the tent to ask that girl out for a date. Well, then he gets under there and walks headlong. Anybody remember the Andy Griffith show? You remember Don Knotts? He wasn't even close to saved, but his sister was a Pentecostal tent evangelist. And one of her associates was preaching that night, had put the tent up. And he's preaching. And my grandfather's sitting in the back. I heard about these people. Do your thing. But he was committed to getting that girl. So he stayed through the whole thing. And then when the guy got ready to give the altar call, like they often did back then, he locked eyes on my grandfather, and they'd come up and put their hand on you and say, son, would you like to make a decision for Jesus Christ? So he locks eyes with my grandpa, starts moving down the aisle. And my grandfather, who was not joking, you know, he, he knocked people out after he was saved. So I'm sure when he said he was going to knock him out before he was saved, wasn't lying. He said, I made up my mind. If this guy comes over and puts his hand on me, I'm going to knock him out. I don't, th- I don't want anything to do with this stuff. So I said, well, how come you didn't knock him out? He said, I tried. He said, I already had my fist balled up. And when he put his hand on my shoulder to say, son, would you like to make a decision for Jesus Christ? He said, my arm wouldn't move. And he said, it felt like something warm washed over me. And the next thing you know, I was up at the altar receiving Jesus Christ. You know, he was the only one at the altar that night. So what a colossal failure that meeting must have looked like. But little did they know, he would immediately go to Bible school at Zion Bible Institute in East Providence, Rhode Island, and meet my grandmother, who her mother, Louise Crawford, Scottish, from northern Maine, married to Spofford Crawford. They got married because they had two mutual interests, drinking and dancing. Amy Simple McPherson holds a tent meeting in Framingham, Massachusetts. One of her associates goes up to northern Maine and puts the tent up there. My great-grandma comes. She gets saved and baptized in the Holy Ghost and comes and happily tells her, her husband with her new little baby they have together, I gave my life to Jesus, and I got baptized in the Holy Ghost. His response is, Louise, I married you because you like to drink and dance. If you don't want to do that anymore, I'm done with you. And so there the pressure comes that everybody has to face to make a decision to serve the Lord. Where the devil tries to put some kind of initial pressure on you to quit because it's not just about you. The thing when I look back through my family and I can prove it from scripture. The reason there's a fight against your life, it's not just about you. It's if you stay and keep going forward, you change your last name. And generation after generation doesn't have to fight the battles that you had to fight. Say it so the devil can hear you. Say, my life has value. <laughs> you know how much value your life has? You think about it. For the devil to devote all his time to destroying people. And God to devote all his energy to saving people. How much value does a soul have? Jesus said in Mark eight thirty six and 37, What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? 
So then her daughter, Carlene, my grandma that's 87 now, goes to Bible college and meets my grandfather. My grandfather almost got thrown out before he registered. He got in a fight before registration. And they brought him to the um, pre president, Christine Gibson, who was a true prophet from Guyana that the Lord had showed her in a vision, the property in East Providence, Rhode Island, that she was to buy to start a Bible school as a woman in the 20s. And everything came in. So they bring my grandfather there to get him processed to send him on a bus to West Virginia. And my great and uh, Christine Gibson looks at him and goes, no, we're not going to send him home. Well, what do you mean we're not going to say he knocked it? No, it's okay. What would you say your name is? Alan. Come with me. She takes him in her car, takes him to East Providence, and buys him three suits, first three suits he ever had. And said, the Lord's going to use you to preach the gospel. Man, I thank God for people that are led by the Spirit. She could have sent him back home discouraged and go back into sin. There's no me. Or if there is a me, I'd hate to see you in a methadone clinic somewhere. But he kept going. Then they have four sons. All four sons are still preaching. Then they have grandsons. All of us are still preaching. My, my, my cousin's up preaching in Toronto. My sister is recording music right now in Montreal. I'm down here in Texas. And God changed our family because somebody took the gospel outside. So maybe that's why it's special to me. John 4, I get my nourishment from doing the will of God and from finishing His work. Everybody say finishing His work. Yeah, we are His hands extended. We are His mouth. Finishing His work. You know the saying, four months between planting and harvest. But I say, wake up, look around. The fields are already ripe for harvest. And the harvesters are paid good wages. And the fruit they harvest is people brought to eternal life. What joy awaits both the planter and the harvester alike? You know the saying, one plants and another harvests, and it's true. I sent you to harvest where you did not plant. Others have already done the work, and now you will go and gather in the harvest. That's the easy job of the evangelist. Pastor Bob did all the work for like 70 years. Then you just show up and get to capitalize on that work. It's God's plan. And, and, and so it, it's no wonder to me why the devil, knowing that there's 4 billion people that have never heard the name of Jesus, has tried to cut off that evangelistic arm. And everything's passed. And you need pastors. You need everybody. But you need that gift. I heard uh, the, the, the Lord started to send me young people like 18, 19. And you just see how the Western system of Christianity has cut out evangelism. I mean, I'm talking like what you're seeing, what you're going to see on the video, what you see here, the gift of the evangelist. Billy Sunday, D.L. Moody, R.A. Torrey, Billy Graham, on down the line. That he cut it out because it's, it's a mass harvesting arm by the Holy Ghost of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Can you say amen? But I felt the Lord speak to me. That there's going to come another wave. Then I heard Kenneth Copeland prophesy like three years ago at his believers convention. That the Lord showed him there's going to be another wave of ten evangelists. that come all over the country. And I'm going to tell you right now, and remember I said it. The reason all these baseball teams and football teams and hockey teams and baseball teams that can't even fill their own stadiums and are all building new stadiums. The reason they're building them is not for those teams. God is using heathen money to build state-of-the-art buildings to house the crowds that will come to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ in this last hour of time. 
Not nights of worship. The preaching of the gospel. Praying for the sick. Laying hands on people to be baptized in the Holy Ghost. Another wave is going to hit this country. So anyway, when I was complaining, disguised as praying, why couldn't I have been born back in the 80s when people like preachers? Now I'm here, they hate, they hate them. And I felt the Lord speak to me, you're right, they don't like you. Then he gave me that scripture where Paul told Timothy, be instant in season or out of season, but in the uh, New Living Translation it says, remain faithful whether the time's favorable or unfavorable. And he said, right now you are in an unfavorable time. But don't worry about it. Because the strength you'll develop in this unfavorable time, he said, one day it's going to swing back to favorable. And you'll have the strength necessary during that time to capitalize on it. And we're in that time right now. I mean, you watch the Major League Baseball All-Star Game. You'd have thought it was a testimony service. I don't know if they interviewed one baseball player and asked him about how he did that night without him saying, I want to give glory to Jesus Christ. I thank God for the gift that he gave me. You could tell it was irritating the network. It's like it's okay to say Jesus out in public again. Because it wasn't like that, even like six years ago. I finished preaching in Philadelphia outside. I still had my Bible with me. The bellman's walking me up to my hotel room. And then he's walking, and then he sees my Bible. And he goes, are you, a, what's that? I said, it's a Bible. It's a Bible. He went, are you a Christian? I said, yeah. He looks both ways. He goes, I too, I, I too, I'm a Christian. I said, are we in Pakistan? You had a whisper that we're Christians now in Philadelphia? Let me tell you, the devil can kiss my gospel grits if he thinks I'm going to whisper the name of Jesus. It's time to get a microphone and some speakers and a stage and shout it so every devil in hell can hear it. We are children of the Most High God. We are anointed with fresh oil, and it's time to win the lost, cast out devils, and heal the sick. You know, the truth is, there's enough firepower in this room to take the state of Texas. Somebody's going to get a hold of lightning tonight. And your life will never be the same. I said your life will never be the same. Anyway, you remember me talking about Penn State like an hour ago? Now when you watch this, just let this show you. Because if there's one environment that you would think, well, it's not going to work just standing up and preaching. That you've got to find like another way to get the gospel to people. No, God has anointed the foolishness of preaching. And I saw it, I mean, I, got, I guess I got a new respect for the power of the gospel that night because everything God said came to pass. For seven minutes, it looked like I paid a media crew to film the greatest failure of my ministry in stunning high definition. And then when it changed, I mean, I've watched this probably 200 times. I still get nervous watching it. But the gospel, I mean, you'd think it's two different crowds by then. So, you know, there must be a reason the Lord's having me dwell on this. That maybe there's also people here that have been following the call of God on your life in the ministry. You got surrounded by a bunch of dead people that because of their own failures told you that, well, no, it doesn't work. Don't you think you're just going to go out there and pray for people and then get healed? So you ended up in some kind of sublet in the ministry that isn't really what God called you to do. I want to ask you something. For those of you that are here that were already called and pursuing the call, what got you into the ministry in the first place? Did you get into the ministry when the Lord called you? Did you have a vision of giving clean socks to homeless people? 
Or did you have a vision of going out and preaching the gospel and casting out devils and doing what God's called you to do? I pray the Lord uses me tonight that every discouraged person, every person that hasn't yet heard the call of God, who's to say we couldn't launch a hundred people into the ministry just out of tonight? And then if they all produce a thousand souls in the next three years, that would have been a pretty productive service. Can you say amen? Go ahead and roll that Penn State video to the shame of the devil. to me is going to give you guys speak to you guys a little bit a quick message right quick put your hands together for Jonathan Shuttlesworth they think I'm the best the last DJ so always goes I think that's the happiest anybody's ever been to see me so thank you. thank you I appreciate you sticking around up until now this is going to be the best part of your night and if you listen it's going to be something that will impact your life for the rest of your life. Amen. How many of you are freshmen just starting out right now? What an awesome time to allow God to do something in your life tonight that will make sure that everything works out the way God wants it to. And I want to see that happen. You know, this is a little bit of a different party. Penn State. Trying to Most chant, we are Penn State over go. top of me. Most places that you go to party, you wake up in the morning and wonder what you did. The only difference on this one is we want you to lay your head to the pillow at night tonight and know that you have peace with God and that your sins are forgiven. This isn't about religious fanaticism. Jesus didn't die for religious fanatics. John 3.16 says, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but will have everlasting life. Jesus said in Matthew 7, broad is the way that leads to destruction, but straight is the gate and narrow is the way that leads to everlasting life. We know the easy thing to do is stay with the crowd or mock or say that's a bunch of foolishness, but it takes courage and conviction to not bank your life and bank your eternal soul against the word of God that's always proved true. But to say, I'm going to make up my mind. You can't speak for the whole group. You can only speak for you. You can make up your mind tonight and say, as for me and my life, I'm not going to go to hell. I'm going to make Jesus Christ my Lord and Savior. If you say, Jonathan, that's me. I don't know that I'm saved or I know that I'm not saved. But tonight I'm going to give my life to Same the Lord crowd. Jesus Christ. If that's you, I want you to put your hand up high and wave it at me right now. And we're going to pray. God bless you. Keep it up in the air. God bless you. Look all over this place. Wonderful. Praise the Lord God. Hallelujah. Well, go ahead and clap as they lift their hands. You made my night. I start preaching in Ohio in the morning, so I have to leave right after this. But this, I'm going to drive back with a big smile on my face. Because I know God's going to do a great work right now. 
this is what I want only because this isn't my way of doing things this is God's way of doing things he said if you confess me before men so August 30th 2014 for the rest of your life will be the day where when you lay your head to the pillow you can say I know I'm saved because on the intramural field I came out of the crowd and like Jesus said I confessed him publicly I want every person that lifted a hand that meant business with God. I want you to come around this barrier and meet me right in front of the speakers and we're going to pray together. I won't hold you long. Watch the girl in the pink. Strange, Watch the girl in the pink with her boyfriend. Join me right here in Jesus' name. Go ahead, clap for them as they come. Keep clapping. That's marriage the material. The hands that clap for souls will never be empty. Nice to have come a wife that gives you a shove in the right, right direction. Here. Welcome. Stand right here. They don't Go even know what to do. Keep coming. Face the crowd like we're going to stone every them. one of you. I'm so proud of you. I'm so happy for you. This is not a game. This is real. This is not some religious thing. This is when God reaches down from heaven and changes your heart. I only do this not so this turns into some religious recital. Some people have never prayed. So I'm going to give you the words to say. And I want you to say them from the bottom of your heart. Come on, say it out loud. Dear Heavenly Father, I've come forward tonight to show you that I'm, I mean business with you. I'm sorry for my sins. Please forgive me. Have mercy on me. I need your help. I'm not like everybody else. So I don't want to live like everybody else. I want to live for you. I want to fulfill the destiny you have for me. In Jesus' name. Now say this. I believe in my heart. You raised Jesus from the dead. I confess with my mouth. Jesus is Lord and my Savior. Come into my heart, Lord Jesus. Make me like you. Give me a new heart. Cleanse my mind. Make me new. In Jesus' name. I am saved. I am a Christian. God is my Father. Heaven is my home. And I'll live forever. And I will not turn back. In Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. One more time, give a great hand clap to Jesus Christ, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. I love you. God bless every one of you. Everybody say, my message. Say it like you didn't pass away 10 days ago. Say, my message. Paul said how I won them. I gave you the recipe. My message. So there's the one part. Like C4 is putty without a detonator. And a detonator without any C4 is just a watch. But you put them together. Paul gave you two things. Your message. And the Baptists have mastered that. Billy Graham mastered it. My dad, my dad was at the Billy Graham Institute of Evangelism when I was like 16. And he got a, a, a I think it was a 12 or 16 part tape series on Billy Graham, what he learned in evangelism. One of the things he said was, I noticed the more scripture I quoted, the more powerful the meeting would be. So I covenanted with God to never quote less than 70 scriptures when I preached. And so that's what the Lord told me to do there. Actually, that's when that came back to me. When I, the Lord said, the recipe is just keep quoting the scriptures.
Because in your mind, you think the, the way it's to say, now listen, I know you're a teenager. I know I look older than you, but I wasn't a teenager that long ago. I went through some things. And try to relate to people on a flesh level. But it's the Word of God that's the sword of the Spirit that goes into the heart. The Bible says it pierces into the heart. And that's what you saw there. You, how do you get a bunch of kids that have their hat on sideways? I mean, mocking me with all their energy. Amen, preacher. Hallelujah. And then in seven minutes. And that one girl that was down front, she cried all her makeup off. She asked if she could talk to me after. She said, you're probably going to think I'm weird. But I'm telling you, I can feel something like burning in my heart. She said, but it feels good. What is that? I may have to explain to people. Had another kid with a trucker hat on sideways that's yelling at the top of his lungs at me. How come nobody ever told me any of this before? How come nobody, no one told them? How can they call on him whom they've never heard? And how will they hear unless someone tells them? Everybody say my message. And then of the places that even get into the message, then people leave it at that. And Paul gave a second part. I won them by my message and the way I worked among them. For they were convinced by the mighty signs and wonders that were done through me. The Bible says that God watches over his word to perform it. Everybody say perform. That the Bible's living. He'll actually do what you're preaching. And the more of the word that you load into your message, the more it is committing God. Because God so honors His word. You, 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 can't, you can't preach, not talk about, preach 20 scriptures on healing and people not get healed. It's not possible. Because God has an allegiance to his word. And the more word loaded your message is, the more it hits a point where God takes over. Can you say amen? Amen. There was an old missionary evangelist named T.L. Osborne. He was doing a tent meeting with Brother Shambach in New York. Brother Shambach, anybody ever heard R.W. Shambach? He was based out of Tyler, Texas. You know, my cousin was on the crew that helped him put the tent up in New York City. They didn't just put the tent up like in like a field. It was in one of the roughest parts of the Bronx back when New York was like a murder capital. Before they could put the tent down, they had to clear the tent lot. They loaded a pickup truck flatbed full of syringes and found three dead bodies. I'm talking going into the bowels of hell and put the tent up and start playing that happy gospel music. People start dancing out of the projects. Fill that tent with about 5,000 people. The one night he has T.L. Osborne preach. T.L. Osborne. They had all the wheelchair people on the left side. T.L. Osborne stands in front of this one guy. And my Uncle Ted was in the meeting. And he was the one that wheeled the man where he was. And my uncle talked to him while he was wheeling him. He said, how'd you get in the wheelchair? He said, I was in Vietnam. And something exploded. And the shrapnel severed my spinal cord. Severed spinal cord. T.L. Osborne goes over to him. I don't know if you ever saw him preach or not. He was different. And in his real just nice, gentlemanly voice, standing in front of this guy that's a total uh, paraplegic. The gospel is alive. And when you preach it, it gets alive into your body. You know, that's scriptural. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 4, My son, attend unto my words, for they are radiant health unto thy flesh and strength unto thy bones. So he's standing in front of him going, it's getting, it's getting in you right now. The gospel's getting in your bones. 
Like it's like a Sunday school class. This Vietnam veteran's in there. And he keeps preaching, standing right in front of the guy. I'm telling you, it's working on the inside of you right now. And keeps going. And my Uncle Ted said, even I was saying, what is this guy doing? It's getting in your spinal cord. It's making your legs strong. And he gets about 30 minutes through doing that. And all of a sudden, the guy just goes like this. And then starts walking. And T.L. Osborne didn't praise God. He went, see, I told you. It's alive. It's making you walk. My Uncle Ted said when he stood up, all the two rows that they had in those chairs stood up. And then I don't know what happened. It's like the thing got hijacked. But professors that don't believe in that stuff, you take a kid that's 18 on fire for God, send him to most Bible schools, he'll come back after three years not even believe in God anymore. Fire God. But that's what meetings like this are for. To get you on fire and pour heaven's gasoline on that fire. The fire will never go out. If you receive that, take 15 good seconds. Clap your hands, all ye people, and shout unto God with the voice of triumph. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Come on, make a joyful noise. Let the devil know that you know he's defeated. Somebody shout hallelujah. Somebody shout hallelujah. Lift both hands to the Lord and say this from the bottom of your heart. Say thank you, Father, for putting your hand on my life and for using me to work the works of Christ. To declare the word of God in Jesus' name. Now with your hands lifted, just begin to thank Him. If you're filled with the Spirit, begin to thank Him in the Spirit. If you're not yet filled, just say thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Heavenly Father. Thank you, Holy Ghost. Prakatoste babragindia. God's not finished with America. God's not finished with the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex. This generation's not going to die on heroin. God is going to shake this generation. I refuse to concede this nation to the devil. Every unclean planting of hell in this nation. I curse it tonight from the root. In Jesus' name. Everybody say my message. You can be seated briefly. And you can't forget the second part. The way he worked through me. Everybody say through me. Don't work outside, he works through you. You shall lay your hands on the sick and they'll recover. You'll speak to the mountain and it'll move. You keep your mouth shut, don't touch anybody, nothing happens. But if you open up your mouth, God said, I'll fill it. If you have the guts to lay your hands, it's not your name on the line, it's God's name on the line. And God is too faithful to fail. Lift your hands one more time in your seat. I see a crimson stream of blood that flows from Calvary.
It's waves that reach the throne of God are flowing over your body right now. I see men and women being healed right now. You think a lot of people got healed last night? Watch right now. Strength returns to your body. Health returns to your body. The devil may have had the first laugh, but you will laugh last. In Jesus' name. If you believe it, shout amen like thunder. Turn to Acts 19 with me. Acts 19.1. Now, now that we did the message, let's do the other part. While Apollos was in Corinth, and Jay, if you get those day three and four, I'm still going to go there. While Apollos was in Corinth, Paul traveled through the interior regions until he reached Ephesus on the coast where he found several believers. What does the Bible say these people were? Believers. What did he ask the believers? Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed, he asked them. Oh, I believe that everyone that believes receives the Holy Spirit. Well, then Paul must have been a real idiot. No, they replied, we haven't even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. Then what baptism did you experience, he asked. And they replied, the baptism of John. Say this with me. You'll never receive what you don't hear preached to you. That's why any church that you get the leadership in a back room, well, we believe in the Holy Spirit. Many of us speak in tongues. We just don't tell the people about it. Well, somebody should slap you in the head. I'd be like, so I have food in my refrigerator. I just don't give it any to my children. Someone should kick your face. Because for you to have this treasure from heaven and then not have the guts to tell the people about it and then wonder why when you say in every church now, how many of you need prayer tonight? Every hand goes up. That's not how it's supposed to be. Because if you'll get filled with that fire, guess what? You don't have to have somebody pray for you. You can begin to pray in a language that comes from heaven and strengthen yourself. Well, we own a car dealership. We just don't tell anyone about the cars. You'll go out of business, and all those churches go out of business. Paul said John's baptism called for repentance from sin, but John himself told the people to believe in the one who would come later, meaning Jesus. As soon as they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then when Paul laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they spoke in other tongues and prophesied. There were about 12 men in all. Then Paul went to the synagogue and preached boldly for the next three months, arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. But some became stubborn, rejecting his message, publicly speaking against the way. So Paul left the synagogue and took the believers with him. So notice that. I mean, just know what you're getting into. It happened from the beginning of time. Happened with Paul's ministry. Paul's doing great, and then people become stubborn and start to post on Facebook against him. I think he's a false prophet, and personally, I think then people believe and leave. So what does Paul do? Well, I tried. No, he kept going. So Paul left the synagogue, took the believers with him, and held daily discussions at the lecture hall of Tyrannus. This went on for the next two years, so that people throughout the province of Asia, both Jews and Greeks, heard the word of the Lord. Verse 11. God gave Paul the power to perform unusual or special miracles. Notice this is precipitated by two years straight of preaching. Unusual or special miracles. So that even when handkerchiefs or aprons that had merely touched his skin were placed on the sick, they were healed of their diseases and any evil spirits came out. A group of Jews was traveling from town to town, casting out evil spirits. They tried to use the name of the Lord Jesus in their incantation. 
saying, I command you in the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches to come out. Seven sons of Sceva, a leading priest, were doing this. But one time when they tried it, the evil spirit replied, Jesus I know and Paul I know, but who are you? That's not good. Then the man with the evil spirit leapt on them, overpowered them, and attacked them with such violence that they fled from the house naked and battered. The story of what happened spread quickly all through Ephesus to Jews and Greeks alike. A solemn fear descended upon the city. And the name of the Lord Jesus was greatly honored. Many who became believers confessed their sinful practices. A number of them who had been practicing sorcery brought their incantation books and burned them at a public bonfire. The value of the books was several million dollars. So the word of the Lord spread widely and had a powerful effect. So the word of the Lord spread widely and had a powerful effect. My dad was preaching down in, uh, I can't remember whether it was Nicaragua or Costa Rica, one of the two, a couple years ago. He gives the altar call to get saved. People come forward to get saved. There's about, I think there was 20,000 people there that night, and a lot came forward. So he's praying the sinner's prayer, and all of a sudden this old, uh, I shouldn't have said old, because now I can't tell you how old she was, or I'll offend some of the crowd. This lady, we'll just say, was there, and uh, when they're praying the sinner's prayer and ask Jesus into their heart, she starts screaming. So I just come over thinking she has a demon or something because she's like freaking out. And no one else was except her. And so my dad said, well, what's, you know, my dad doesn't speak any Spanish. So he said, what's the problem? And the interpreter was crying. He said, there's no problem. He said, uh, she's saying, I was born blind. I'm 68 years old. And when I said, ask Jesus to come into my heart, I can see everything. And she's, she's yelling what she can see and what color the trees are and everything. Well, that's not the end. It's like the theme that the Lord had me on from the beginning. That when a miracle hits, it's like throwing a rock in a pond and the ripples go out. There was a member of a gang there called Los Diablos, the devils who had a face full of tattoos. I'm talking like a violent Central American gang. Bad guy. And when he saw that, he got saved. And then he brought the gang members to be saved. I can't remember how many of them got saved. It was, it was like over 40. And so after my dad leaves, that guy starts an outreach team with the church and is doing great. But then he comes to the pastor after a month. And he said, I really feel like I need to go to the police and confess all I've done. And he said, but you're not wanted for any crimes. He said, that's because there's no witnesses. He said, but I feel like I, I need to just tell everything I did and pay the price for it. The pastor tried to talk him out of it, but he couldn't be convinced. So he goes and confesses, like, all kinds of murders, everything. And they put him in jail. I think it was Costa Rica. And they don't have the death penalty. So they gave him 92 years in prison. He's in his 30s, so it's, it's over. So he goes to prison. The first month, he starts a Bible study in the prison. And guys from another gang beat him where he has to go to the hospital for, like, 30 days in intensive care and then recovery. Almost dies. They switch him to another prison. He starts a Bible study there. Starts with like four guys. And then before it's all said and done, nearly the, of course you got people coming in and out of prison. But nearly the entire prison, with the exception of like a few people, very few, the guards would come, all of the prisoners from all the different gangs, and he would preach. And they, they got, gave their lives to the Lord. They got baptized in the Holy Ghost. They said... Say it so the devil can hear you. Say, I've been changed. Say, I'm born again. Say, the old me is dead. And a new me now lives. 
I'll tell you, between the blind lady getting healed and the guy getting out of a 92-year sentence, you know what that tells you? There is nothing the devil's done to you that God can't do something about it. There is, listen to me, there is no irreversible situation with God. The God that made the sun stand still. The God that cursed the fig tree from the root. That God is alive in you. And he'll work through you to make every crooked way straight and to make a way where there is no way. Hallelujah. My, my dad, maybe I should just have my dad flying and tell his own stories, but they're all coming back to me now. My dad was just in Pakistan last summer. Actually, this happened today. It was in my, the, the, the Facebook memories. You know, they tell you what happened last year. My dad's in Pakistan. <laughs> they preached, you know, and they're not in Lahore. Not that Lahore is an easy place to go, but Lahore is at least like kind of open to international travel. My dad was preaching just outside of Islamabad which you don't need the CIA fact book to know if you're preaching outside in a place that consists of two words, Islam and bad. It's not safe. In fact, two missionaries had gone there before and while they were preaching, a guy lit a Koran on fire, not, not from their missions team, a Muslim, lit a Koran on fire and threw it at their feet and then snapped a picture. And then they told everybody these guys are burning Korans when they preach. And they strung up him and his interpreter over the power lines, dipped him in diesel fuel and lit him up. So that's where my dad was preaching. They have 25,000 people out. And my father's preaching, and the way it was supposed to work was he prayed for the sick from the platform. And after he got done praying for the sick, those that received miracles were supposed to come up and testify. So these four sons bring their father that's an imam, head of a mosque, like an Islamic pastor, in his dress. Bring him up in a chair. And then he's speaking through the interpreter. So my dad's overhearing what the interpreter is saying. My dad said, so what happened? He was paralyzed and the Lord healed him? They said, no, he's still paralyzed and they want God to heal him. Well, that's not how it's supposed to work. But it's too late. So these four angry sons have their angry dad there. And it's not like, you know, pray. It's like, if this doesn't work, you're a liar. You're just running your mouth for 60 minutes about how great your God is. Help my dad. So my dad, you know, you pray a little differently when your life's on the line. Oh, Lord, guide the surgeon's hand. There's none of that. And I was looking at the pictures today. My dad, thank God for the Holy Ghost. My dad got down on his knee. I think he's 59, yeah, almost 60. He's 60 now. Knelt down and grabbed that guy's legs and started praying. In the name of Jesus, I lose the life of God in these legs. Father, do this miracle for him and also a little bit for me. Amen. <laughs> and he said, when I got done praying, you know, 25,000 people watching plus the sons, my dad got up, <laughs> and I know his tone of voice. He said, uh, you know, like he used to, used to correct me. He said, all right, now walk. And the guy doesn't walk. So before there's time to figure out what, my dad grabs him. He said, walk, picks him up. You know, if you're going to die, die trying. <laughs> he said, walk. Guy can't walk. So my dad said, walk with me. Well, my dad's basically just dragging a paralyzed man. You know, his feet are just dragging like, like a puppet, like Kermit the Frog. <laughs> my dad's going, walk in Jesus' name, walk. Well, the sons start getting mad. 
and start yelling in their language. Put, put my father down. They're telling him to put you down. And my dad, you know, my dad does not lack authority. So they're like, put my, my dad said, back up. The son's back up. My dad's praying in tongues in the name of Jesus. I command these legs to work. Father, do this to glorify your son. And before he can get through the prayer, the guy's feet catch. He starts walking like this. And then starts going across the stage with his hands up. Son's crying with their hands up. Out of the 25,000 people, there was not. My dad said, there's no way to tell with 25,000. But when we said, lift your hands if you'd like to receive Jesus Christ, there was nobody. 25,000 people in Pakistan under uh, Sharia law praying out loud, Heavenly Father, I confess my sin. I receive Jesus Christ. I'm going to tell you something right now. Not only will Islam never move into this nation, the nations that are now under that false religion, the power of God is not going to sweep through it. It's sweeping through even now. This world shall be shaken one more time by the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you're with me, let me hear you shout yes. And then this, this is the, the last thing I'll tell you, and then we'll, I'm going to pray for you. So there, there's over in Pakistan. What about here? What about when I'm reading a news story that Clarksburg, West Virginia has the highest rate of heroin addiction of any place in the United States, a town of 16,200 people that'll have 21 overdose deaths in a weekend. And I read that and went to scroll to the next story on my phone, and I felt that's the only one. Every other outdoor crusade we did, I felt the Lord, I was invited. That one, when I read it, I felt the Lord speak to me. Go down there and put a stop to that. So we do two weeks of meetings. We have just over 2,200 people saved. And then I thought for week three, you get 2,000 people saved in a town of 16,000. It starts putting a hurting on businesses like bars. We had five heroin dealers get saved. One of the dealers, after he got saved, when, he, when his guys would come to buy heroin from him, he would tell them, I'm not going to sell you any heroin. I want you to come with me tonight. There's this skinny guy. And he's going to yell at you for like an hour. He said, but the more he, it's a weird kind of yelling. Because the more he yells, the better you feel. And then he said, he's going to invite you up front and I'll walk you up. So then, I, we would, I mean, it's fun doing crusades. You walk up, this heroin addict comes up, or heroin dealer, and is waving all the guys up. Telling them where, where to line up. And then he'd say. <laughs> but for week three, everybody say my message. You know, the, the altar call started to dip in number because we had probably hit about everybody we could hit. And I thought it would be good for these new people that were coming to see a demonstration of the power of God that had just been saved a little bit right off of drugs. So my Uncle Ted, my dad's oldest brother, the one I play, played before, I made a deal with him. I said, listen, I'll preach first because like you saw in Penn State, when you do a crusade, it's not church. Everyone's not sitting there respectful and stuff. It's wild. So I said, I'll preach for the first 15 minutes and give an altar call to receive Jesus Christ. That'll calm the crowd. That way you don't have to do that in your 60s. And then we'll get everybody processed and uh, they, they got saved. Have them sit back down and you can just go to work flowing in the spirit. And it would be good for this new generation to see miracles. So we set our faith for miracles. So this isn't overseas footage. This is out in Redneck, West Virginia, where my family's from. Where these people that didn't know a thing about Christ or power 
The first night you're going to see what God did. And then you had all these people see what God did and bring all their friends back. Now they're bringing sinners saying, listen, God, God's going to help you tonight. They're bringing people that need help. Watch what God did. I'm trying to do this to build your faith. That when you respond to the call of God on your life, he doesn't have you doing what you're doing to survive. Well, everywhere your foot shall tread, you will be on land that God has already given to you. There are many people that are going to come out of this meeting tonight that are going to give the devil the worst 10 years that he's ever had where God's going to begin to open doors for you to change your generation. Not only are you going to be saved, God's going to use you to shake your generation. In Jesus' name. Go ahead and roll the two videos. That's me. That's also me. Go ahead. You can turn the volume up. Sickness you can't heal. There's no family that you can't. Remember, this is about like 85% on church people. Great demonstration of your power. I mean, I always believe in God and stuff. You know, I just, I never felt nothing like that before, but. Bill Campbell and his wife Jennifer gave their hearts to Jesus at Festival of Life in Clarksburg. And with their salvation, they also received healing. The Lord showed me it was a small bleed here in the brain. Did you go to a doctor to find out what it was? What did he tell you? He said it was caused by a tumor. Did they tell you they take it out? Did you have an operation? take the tumor out but the other day the symptoms came back on you how would he know how would he know that he was sick you know he wouldn't you know he wouldn't know what he was struggling with the doctor couldn't do it so we called in another doctor his name's jesus somebody shout dr jesus there it is lift your hands he's gonna be healed jesus of nazareth God goes through Bill. Just let him sit there. He can't stand under that anointing. Now look at me. You'll see your eye came open. Has it? Clear? Blurriness gone? It's just like I felt like a new person. It just, you know, I just felt like everything went away at that point. It felt great. Bill's wife Jennifer was next. The other night you coughed and coughed for over a half hour. He had to get you some water. Now, it doesn't make any difference what the pain is in your chest you're causing it. If you get healed tonight, you're healed. Awesome. Yeah, I didn't, well, I've, I've, had, I've been having chest pains. And I thought it was stress, you know, work, stress, you know, whatever, whatever. And it was hard for me sometimes to breathe. And for him to say that to me, how could you even know? I curse the taste of nicotine in the name of Jesus Christ. It was awesome. Now watch how strong it is after you curse nicotine. Everyone just came up and threw their cigarettes on the thing. Looks like somebody robbed the liquor store. Then the move of God continued. Just wave at me. You have like a white striped top on. I tell you, I didn't know what to believe until he told me what was wrong with me. And I know I never talked to him or nobody about it. 
you have three conditions in your body. I feel the Lord showed me this afternoon when I was praying. One of the problems is in your legs, and you're starting to lose feeling in your legs and feet. Deborah Johnson could barely make it down the steps to the altar. I mean, I could barely walk. It hurt so bad to stand up or even bend down with my knees. Thank the good Lord, he healed my body. I was praying, I saw your face. And I said, who is this woman? I knew the Lord said, you'll meet her when you get to the meeting. And I did. I, yeah, I believed and I believed you could be healed. But I had never been prayed over to be healed. Jesus, heal this woman in her hips now. I command the numbness, the circulation to be healed. I just felt a lot of pressure left my body. And something just entered it. And I got, uh, my legs got strength in them. And I couldn't stop them. <laughs> they just wanted to go. Go out of her body in the name of Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God. I haven't walked like this in a long time. Take off and walk across there and test it out. By Tuesday night, in just three services, 579 people received Jesus. I got something better than a prize. I got Jesus and I got healed. Then that, and then everybody comes with a different expectancy. This is night four. That's that's me. Still me. When I use loops, it's important that they sound like me. There's something about manipulating it and just making it my own. I believe in you. I, I knew you could do it the whole time. Never doubted you. never stop believing. Just pretend none of this is happening. Just close your eyes and think of your favorite place. Miracles were popping up all over the Clarksburg Amphitheater. I don't know how you get two videos to play at once, but you did it. That's the video, the one of them. Give it 60 seconds, they'll get it. I can feel it in my bones.
be honest with you, I could use a break anyway. Open, check it out. My radio, you hear pop. It popped. I felt a pop. Miracles were popping up all over the Clarksburg Amphitheater. You found deaf spirit in the mighty name of Jesus, the head of the church. Come. Oh! What happened? Tonight was the most wonderful night I have ever had. God absolutely restored my hearing both left and right. Open for the glory of God. Clear. Clear. I have been diagnosed with hand loss since I was five years old. I am now 30 years old. What happened? You're smiling. I can hear. Your ears just came open. You believe Jesus did it? Yes. He did it then. He did it tonight. He'll do it. If he did it for me, for the good for all of you. I've got it. Jesus did it. I'm not deaf now. She's repeating what he's In saying. the power of God. He has opened my ears. Lacey Workman's ears were opened after 25 years. And next was Renita Mitchell, who had been deaf for over 30 years. You were in a car accident when you were eight. Yes. Um, I was in a car accident when I was eight years old, and I hit my head off of the road, and, and from what I was told, ruptured my eardrum. You found deaf spirit that came to her when she was eight through an accident. You cannot stay. In the mighty name of Jesus Christ, I command you, come. Oh, in Jesus' name, amen. You hear me a little better, don't you? What happened? It popped, and I can hear for the first time in 31 years. It popped. Your ear popped open? Yes. There's been many a times when I doubted and I didn't believe, even though, you know, even though I believe in God, even though I go to church, even though I read my Bible, there's been many times that I, I doubted and just didn't think that God heard my prayers. But I'm here to tell you that he does. Pastor Tim Nichols had two prayers answered. I'm a pastor of a church. And I can't hear the people when I'm praying, when they're asking me for prayer, and I couldn't hear them and understand them. And I need my hearing so I can help the people. In one of your eyes, the enemy tried to bring a problem in one of the eyes. Isn't that right? Yes. True? Yes. You're going to get two miracles tonight. He had that all down right. And my eye, when he talked about it, I had a piece of metal cut clear across my eye. And it was caused me a lot of problems. There it is for the glory of God. What happened? Oh, that ear's coming clear. It came open and it's clear. Someone say it's coming clear. This is real. This is God. This is the God that loves us. He cares very much about us and he wants to heal us. Oh, he loves me. <laughs> he, he does. Dorothy Fox felt the love of God when she received her healing. I just believed that the Lord was going to touch me tonight. Two things. Number one, the Lord's going to make your blood right. The beginning of diabetes, is that right? That's right. I heard the Lord say to me, is going away. Praise God. In one of your legs, you've already started losing feeling, and it gets shaky in that leg. 
that's been a, it's been a struggle and it's affected my legs and uh, the neuropathy was beginning to happen also and I've been battling arthritis as well. One more thing, right here in the back of your neck and into your shoulder, the beginning of arthritis and some restriction and pain, true? Yes. Move your head any way you want, you'll see there's no pain. No pain. And no pain for Earl Kelly either, after living in daily pain from an accident 22 years ago. He has no kneecap. He fell, how many feet? 39 feet. The doctor put a bunch of pins and a boat wire in there. He has no kneecap, you just feel all this metal. Well, I just never knew when my legs was going to kick out from under me and I'd go down sometimes and hurt myself. Oh, my goodness, sir. How many see a kneecap here? Can you see it, Pastor? If you put your hand there, you're going to feel a kneecap now. You feel that? Felt like the leg was coming more alive. You feel that? You do, don't you? Yes, sir. I felt a pop when it bent. It hurt, but it felt good. This would be what we would call a creative miracle. He believed in God's wonderful healing power. We both did. Start walking across there on your new kneecap. I feel wonderful. Come to Jesus tonight, and he'll not only save you, he'll take what the devil meant to destroy your life and turn it around in one night. 683 people have received Jesus so far this week, and we are just past the halfway point. Even more have had their lives forever changed. For Festival of Life, I'm Stephanie Esposito. Jesus, another great hand clap. There's my friend from Oklahoma. Right? Ain't you from Oklahoma? Where'd you come here from, Oklahoma? Oklahoma. Tell everybody why you drove so far. What happened in Kansas City? Oh, well, he called me out of the uh, audience, and I had a bad back, and he prayed for me, and bingo, I just took off running, and praise the Lord. Oh, yeah, and I also had bad kidneys, and now my kidneys, my last report from the doctor said they were doing great. Yeah, devil's going to have a bad year. First six months were bad. Second six, six months will be extremely bad. And now it's time for you to make up your, your mind which side you're going to be on because there's no in-between. There's no church going anymore. You're either going to serve the devil or you're going to get on fire for God. And if you'll make a decision that, God, I want the fire. I want to be filled with the Holy Ghost and fire. God won't just rescue you out of your problem. God will give you an overflow of his power where everywhere you go, You'll minister his length to those that are on the, the door of death. Snatch them from destruction. I'm going to read one last scripture and then I'm going to pray for you. Mark 16, verse 15. Then Jesus told them or commanded them, not suggested to them, commanded them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to everyone. How come you Christians can't keep your religion to yourself? It's against our religion to keep our religion to ourselves. Anyone who believes and is baptized will be saved. But anyone who refuses to believe will be damned. And these miraculous signs will follow the first 12 apostles and then they'll die. 
No. These miraculous signs will follow all who believe. In my name they will cast out devils. They will speak with new tongues. Hallelujah. They will handle snakes with safety. And if they drink anything poisonous, it won't harm them. They will lay their hands on the sick, and the sick shall recover. When the Lord Jesus finished talking with them, he was taken up into heaven and sat down in the place of honor at God's right hand. And the disciples went everywhere and preached. And the Lord worked with them, confirming what they said with many signs and wonders. There are many people aged 35 and younger that as I was preaching, God began to stir your heart. may have even started last night. That you may not be able to explain it or articulate it clearly. But you realize tonight you weren't here by accident. That this is an an appointment with your destiny. That God is calling you and stirring you. Not only to not go down with the ship. But to come over to God's side and rescue people off of this sinking ship before it's eternally too late. Every person age 35 and younger. That you felt the Lord stirring at you. That I want God to use me. I want Him to fill me with His power. And go out into this dark world and drive the darkness out by the power of God. Very quickly, I want you to stand up from your seat, line straight across the front. I'm going to pray for every one of you, shoulder to shoulder, one line across the front. Quickly, in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Tonight's your night. Tonight's your night. That's a lot of people, man. Praise God. Praise God. Well, I guess since we filled the whole front, start, start a second line. If you, if you get here and there's no room in the front, start a second line about two steps back. And then if you're at the front altar, make sure I have enough room to walk in front. Of you. I guess I got the front steps, so I'm fine. Tonight's your night. This is your night. I said this is your night. I'm not telling you what to do, but I have 200 tuition-free Bible scholarships, Bible school scholarships to give out every year. If you'd like one, you can have one. You don't have to go to the school I have them for, River Bible Institute in Tampa. You can go wherever you want, but that's the one I can help you. And I suggest it. At least check it out. In Jesus' name. Isaiah 6, verse 1. It was in the year that King Uzziah died that I saw the Lord. He was sitting on a lofty throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Attending him were mighty seraphim, each having six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they flew. They were calling out to each other, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is filled with his glory. Their voices shook the temple to its foundations, and the entire building was filled with smoke. Then I said, It's all over. I'm doomed. For I'm a sinful man. I have filthy lips, and I live among a people with filthy lips. Yet I've seen the king, the Lord of hosts. But one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal he had, taken from the altar with a pair of tongs. He touched my lips with it and said, See, this coal has touched your lips. Now your guilt is removed, and your sins are forgiven. Say that out loud. Say, my sins are forgiven. Then I heard the Lord asking, Whom shall I send as a messenger to this people? Who will go for us? And I said, here I am, send me. 
Bible says as soon as he got in the presence of God, probably like has happened with many of you, you, your flesh starts thinking, oh man, how can God ever use me? I have this wrong. Or maybe you can name like nine things that are wrong. But notice God didn't say, yeah, I don't know what I'm going to do either. No. Immediately, an angel went and took a coal of fire and touched him. And it burned up the thing that would have disqualified him and made him clean. Can you say amen? amen. And then I'm going to read you one more scripture before I pray for you. Because this is vital.